Welcome to the Antler Archives, brought to you by White Rock Performance Gear. Quality, performance, and style. Hudo Lifestyle. Hunt harder, go further, stay longer. Wapiti River Outdoors. Share our passion. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Antler Archive podcast. Uh, got myself, Brian, here, and we're joined today with Travis of Wapiti River Outdoors. Uh, it's episode 30, but it is part two of our kickoff the season elk calling strategies. Uh, how's it going today, Travis? Yeah, doing good, Brian. How are you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. Doing awesome doing this afternoon and before we jumped on here and getting ready for season. The countdown is on. You're living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> man i know actually i got uh i actually got away on the weekend and shot a little bit for uh maybe an hour total oh yeah so, yeah nothing nothing crazy but it's some you're busy you you gotta have a love-hate relationship with your job you get to work <laughs> with the outdoors industry all the time and that type of thing but at the same time this is your busiest time of year everybody's wanting their reads and you got yeah. store orders to fill and yeah exactly it's it's honestly been uh pretty nutty since about june i would say honestly and then uh, obviously the last the last month or month and a half it's really cranked up so it's a lot more stores than what we're used to <laughs> so that's good though <laughs> that's good yep yeah river names getting out there that's awesome. it's getting there yeah exactly so awesome all righty well we'll go ahead and jump into this one um so on today we're going to talk about more early season last time we covered the scouting aspect hanging the trail cameras what we were looking for with scouting basically the preseason. Now we're going to jump into early season uh, as far as calling strategies, what we're looking for early season, uh, that type of thing. So I'll kick it off with the question. Sure. What sounds are you using early season? Early season? Uh so it depends if I'm going to an area that I that I'm not sure if there's elk there or not. Uh, but like I say we scouted earlier, so we kind of know where the elk are. So two 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 rays of thought here. It's basically you can go in and you could do a couple. What I like to do if I, if I'm gonna do anything like a cow call or a calf call, I'll usually just give one one call and then I'll wait like five minutes, kind of thing, and then I'll do it again. So. Just give you an example, I'll do a calf call. Something like that. But literally, I'll just, like, honestly, I'll just give one and just see, you know, if you get any kind of response or anything like that. Um, that's kind of the easy way to go about it. If you do hear something, probably it's going to, it's either going to be a bull, you know, calling back to you. Or you might just hear a little groan or a grunt or something like that as well. So kind of be listening for that as well. Um, and then the other option, obviously, even though it's early season, 
don't be scared to bugle, you know. And most guys are scared to bugle early season. They think, wow, the cows aren't, aren't uh, they're not coming in, so the bull's not going to call back to you. So but a lot of times, you know, last three or four years in a row, we've been out the first morning and we've had a bugle right off the get-go. So it uh, just don't be scared to bugle for sure. And just do something simple, like I'll do a location bugle here. Perfect. That's I was getting ready to ask you. I know you're not going to go out there and scream a big lip ball challenge, but uh, exactly. Location bugle. And can you yeah. go ahead and give us a location bugle there, Travis? Yeah. So the first bugle I'm going to do is just a location bugle, but it's not going to be at the top of my volume. It's just going to be like maybe half, just kind of feeling the water, the, the bush out in front of you a little bit because the areas that I hunt early season we pretty much hike right into, and then, you know, you're, I don't know, I'm going to guess you're maybe 100, 150 yards from where you think the elk are going to be already. So you want to kind of keep it low-key. You don't want to just jump on it and hammer it as hard as you can right off the get-go. Something like this here. volume kind of thing and again i'm just going to sit there and i'm going to listen for about five minutes and see if anything answers you back chuckles if you hear cows if you hear calves a lot of times when you throw that out there you kind of stir up the whole herd especially calves you'll start hearing them you know they'll be just all over the place right so they get pretty excited and then if i don't hear nothing after that after about five minutes then I'll ramp it up and get a little higher and get a little louder. Something like this here. So there you can see we, we put a lot more effort into that one. A lot more air, a lot more. You get towards the high note a lot faster. And then just kind of what I do again is just sit and wait and see if you get uh, any answers on that one. So, so, so what's the, you said your, your first one, you're only going at about a half volume. That's just, so you're, you're casting it out, not quite as far. You're kind of testing the waters out in front of you. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. no, no response closer up. So you get a little bit louder yeah. just to carry that volume out a little bit more. So, yeah, that's right. And kind of the reason we do that as well, it's for the bulls, but it's also for the other hunters in our area as well. Like, you know, there's going to be different guys out and around and stuff like that. So you kind of want to keep your presence kind of down and not, not just throw your sounds out so every other hunter out there on opening day can, can hear you. Because yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going to happen is... They're going to hear an elk bugle, and sure enough, they're going to want to come check it out, right? So Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so you kind of gave us that scenario was for one of your areas, say your, your home hunting ground. Yeah. But we got a lot of guys that are traveling, you know, three, four hours 
to come in. Let's say maybe they got on one scouting trip, you know, during the summer. They were able to get away for a weekend, go scout the area out. But they're still not sure. They've done their e-scouting. They've got five or six locations parked or picked out on their map. Are you going to do anything different in that situation going into an area blind versus, you know, I know this area always holds elk? Not really. Quite honestly, my approach to all that is as soon as I park the truck, you know, we you got to drive in somewhere. So you drive in, park your truck, you get all geared up, throw your pack on, grab your bow. Usually I'll, uh, a lot of times I'll walk like a hundred yards from the truck and then just depends how I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm not really a huge cow caller. So most of the time it's going to be a location bugle or an advertising bugle. Um, the two are relative. You're throwing a little more growl in. So as soon as that truck, I'm going to throw one of those out there and just kind of test. Um, cause as you know, most of Alberta, it's all logging. Oil. So you're pretty much driving in on the oil lease roads and parking, uh, hunting, you know, the big crown land, uh, cut blocks. If you're fortunate enough to build a, to build a, have, uh, some private land, if you got permission from some farmers, then you know, that's kind of a different thing altogether. Um, for me, mostly I hunt crown land. So it's a matter of getting away from the truck and then firing it and just seeing if there's anything out there. And, and you know, right in there, it's we're leaving camp by 4 or 4.30. So it's dark when you leave. And then when you pull up and shut your shut the rig off, you're basically next little bit you be careful how you throw the calls out there in time you could literally have the bull walking in and he'll be in your lap if you do one bugle so we kind of wait till you know almost legal shooting time 10 minutes before it kind of thing and then i'll fire out one of those location bugles which is be something so you're so just throw one or if you want to do the advertising bugle which is the same as the location bugle but it's got more growl and just throw it out and it'll sound something like this and basically all you're doing yeah you're just using your voice using your voice on the end right? a little little bit shorter and a little bit of a growl on the end but yeah but i'm but i'm still trying to get to that high note because that high note reaches out fairly far and then okay. just throw the growl and um, you know i'm just listening and what you're going to get a lot of the times is you're going to get a bugle back so and it doesn't matter, you know, if, if you're new to the area, if you've traveled up from somewhere, or if it's an area you hunt over and over again, your goal now is to be listening for that, that answer back. And then from there, you got to figure out bull 
you know, is he staying in one spot or is he moving? So now you got to give it another 10, 15 minutes and see what the bull does. So I'll usually be quiet, you know, give him a good five minutes, maybe 10 minutes to kind of muster around because he's patient. He's going to want to hear that bull as well. So after you've waited that five, 10 minutes, give another bugle, but now be really paying attention to where that bull answers you back from. So if he answers you back from the same spot, he's probably got two or three cows already and he's staying in the same area. But if you notice the first bugle came from straight out in front of you and now 10 minutes later, the next bugle comes from maybe it's a little bit closer to you and maybe, you know, maybe he moved off to your left a little bit, a hundred yards, 200 yards. You're going to be difference where that, you know, sounds coming from. So if it's at all different, you know, that bull is on the move. So that's a bull that's searching out cows, you know, and by you bugling, he's going to be thinking, okay, he's got cows. So he's going to want to come over and check you out. Perfect. Yeah. So, so, so let's say you get out there, you let out a location bugle or an advertising bugle. You don't have anything. You wait the five, 10 minutes. You let out another one. Nothing again. So then at that point, are you going to try and play a scenario or are you just packing up? You're moving another couple hundred yards and you're going to try it again. Yeah. Depending on. So what I like to do in my kind of. uh, To do a big loop, take a big walk through the bush and kind of. And end up kind of coming, you know, later in the day back to your truck kind of thing. So. Mm -hmm. What I'll do is you can only hear that bugle for, in my belief, I believe a person can only hear the bugle in our thick country. I can, I can honestly say probably 250, 300 yards is probably as far as you're going to probably hear most bugles and anything else like that. Anything further than that, it's just going to be like a really low where you're kind of not sure where it's even coming from. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of how far I'll move. You know, I might move 200, 250, sometimes 300, but I like to overlap it a little bit because I'm always cautious because say there's a bull out there. He heard you bugle the first time. He's probably moving towards you now. Now you've waited 10, 15 minutes. You've bugled again, and now you haven't heard nothing. But that bull could be still coming your way. So I'm really caught the sound. Um, I do usually like to stay there a good, a good 20, 30, 45 minutes for sure. And just especially early season, a lot of those bulls are coming quiet. So you got to kind of be really patient. You got to let them do their thing. And you kind of got to be on pins and needles and just be listening for every little twig, twig snap or leaf crunching or grass swooshing, um, stuff like that. And this time of year, they can come in so quiet because the ground is so soft. There's so much vegetation on it. You know, they can move silently through all that stuff, especially with some of the rain that we've had. It's, it's pretty quiet walking out there, even, you know, even for a big animal like that. So before I'll even move, 
I I pretty much really listen and watch and even before I move, I'll grab my binoculars and I'll I'll scan ahead of me because at this time either you're going down. We just left the truck, so you're probably going down an oily road. Still, you're gonna hike down a little further and get somewhere else, or you could be going down a cut line. Or what I like to do, I like to be down a cut line already before I do the first bugle, and then be on a game trail from there. So that's kind of the places I like to bugle from is, you know, off of a cut line where there's a main trail, uh, game trail leading into the bush kind of thing. So from there, you're, you're trucking along. If you haven't heard nothing, the elk are just being quiet on you. From there, you're just kind of trucking along a couple hundred yards and moving really slow. You're still paying attention to everything in front of you. You know, it's not like you just get up and move 200 so just you know stalk your way to that new position basically and because you're you're out there hunting and you got to think as soon as you made that sound the hunt is on so when i'm moving to the next spot i'm you're hunting your way to that spot and then from there i'm kicking the ground you know down to dirt and i want somewhere where i can stand and be look around and have do some check-in and then literally do the whole thing again, you know, let a location be a goal and wait your five minutes and see if anything happens or, you know, and still be just listening. It's, it's kind of hunting and stalking at the same time, if that makes any sense. Kind of like a, a still hunting. Yes. You're, you're kind of creeping and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're still hunting your way through the through the bush. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of how how I would do it. And I mean, it does, and you don't have to be the best bugler. Just throw out any kind of if you just get a note up and and then have your ears open. You know. Yeah. So when you do set up, you said you mentioned you always pack the ground down. I know you're a big fan of that, getting you an area. Um, I believe in one of your seminars, I've heard you say about the size of a car hood, or is that too big? Yeah, yeah, roughly, something like that. About the size of a car hood, pack it yeah. down. That way you can move quietly if something does come in. Yeah, um, and I like to kick it right down to dirt, like get – Get any of the dry leaves and the grass out of your way. Because when you first let that call out, you don't know if the elk are coming from out in front of you or if they're coming from behind you. So a lot of times they do all of a sudden surprise you and they come in. Oh, man, they came in 180 degrees from where I thought they were coming, right? It's like (laughs) he got me. So now you got to be able to move. And as long as you move really slow, like I'm talking like slow motion, um, you can get away with some movement with elk. You just can't move fast because that's what they're looking for. Yeah. If they see if they see movement, they got you. But most of the time, you're going to hear them coming through the bush. Anyways, you're going to hear a, a branch snap or something. Um, and you're going to have a you're going to have a few seconds where you can turn slowly and get into position. So, what else are you looking for? in your setup as far as are you looking for an area that's kind of open that you can shoot 50 60 yards are you looking for that tight area 
where they've got to come into that 20, 30 yards max. Um, are you looking for a certain type of vegetation on the ground? That's where you're going to set up and start your calling. Um, I mean, obviously, some areas are going to be better than others, but uh, I guess take us through what what you're looking for as far as in your setup. Okay. So what I'm really looking for as I'm walking in, first off, I'm looking for the for fresh tracks, and I'm hoping you see some fresh uh, droppings on the ground. Um, but if you don't, you can tell by the trails that the elk are using if they're in that area or not. And a lot of times when you walk into that area, you can also smell them. You know, they got that that barnyard smell type of smell to them. Um, if you're close to them, then you'll know that smell. Um, but from there, I'm really honestly just kind of uh, with a partner. Then I'm looking for an area where I can put them out in front of me and have have them kind of set up you know, in an area before I do any calling. So uh, a lot of times the first setup you do, a lot of times you're, you're standing there both together and you're just kind of feeling the water on that first couple of bugles just to see if you get a bite. From there, if you do get a bugle, um, then it's a matter of, okay, you got to start strategically. You got to know where to place where he's going to have some shots. And usually that's the hard part for most people to figure out because you're looking through the bush and where the elk is going to stop is there a lot of times they're not going to get in they're going to come to an opening where they can look and see where the sound is coming from and that's kind of where you want where you where you kind of want your hunter set up already mm-hmm. so you got to kind of watch the game trails and I'm seeing, I'm looking ahead and I'm picturing where the game trail, what direction it's heading off into. So you kind of know where the animal is going to come from, you know, if he, if he does start coming in and basically it's just a matter, you know, I like to get, I like to get the hunter up against right or left. Um, never, never going behind the tree because you, you're blocking all your vision, you're blocking everything. I know you're, you're blocking them seeing you as well. But if you go to the side of the tree, you can lean up on it with your shoulder. And especially I like to lean up on my, on my left side. Cause I'm a right hand. I like to lean against it. It just takes the pressure off. You know, you're holding your bow and you can kind of let the tree do some of the work for you. Sometimes uh, I'll put the, the one cam on the quad of my, let it sit there. And then by being up against it, you can become part of that tree. So if an elk does come walking in, he's going to live at the tree and he'll be looking at you. But in reality, he's looking, picture it like looking over your shoulder to where, this, to where the calling is coming from. So in essence, he's actually looking right through you. And, and he doesn't even see you. You're just, you're part of the the foreground and, you're part of that tree, and now he's literally going to come walking right up to you. So that's kind of where you want to, you know, if you can bump the hunter up there and you can see the game trail, you kind of, I like to be about 15 or 20 yards max off the game trail. And that's kind of where I set up because 
you kind of want that bull to come walking past the shooter at a broadside position. And if you even can, let them walk past you a little bit. And uh, what I like to do as, as they're walking by, most guys, they want to stop them with a cow call or a bark or something like that. Me, personally, I usually have my bow up on the elk up as if I'm, I'm ready to shoot. And then just as you're following the elk slowly as he's walking, just the action of you drawing your bow straight back, a lot of times that's all it takes for that elk to stop because he's only 15, 20 yards away from you. So when you draw straight back like that, you're not really making a whole lot of motion, but you're, you are doing a little bit of motion. So he's going to catch that out of the side of his eye because they can see literally 200 degrees around them or, or 300 degrees around them, just the way their eyes are positioned in their head. So he's going to see you draw and he's going to stop. And a lot of times he's going to look right at you. So that's why I like to have my bow following the, following the the elk as he goes my sight is literally on the side of the elk and when i draw back i'm anchoring in the corner of my mouth and i'm looking through my peep sight all at the same time and now when he stops you're already at full draw your your sight and your pin is on the kill zone now really all you have to do is make sure he stopped if he didn't then you can give him a little yeah or any kind of any kind of sound like that that bull's going to stop so kind of pick your spots where he's walking by broadside and kind of know, you know, you need an opening to shoot through. So pick your spots accordingly. And then if he does, if he does stop when you draw your bow, perfect. He's in an opening. And if he doesn't stop him with your mouth, you know, just making some sounds in that opening. And from there, it's just, you know, 15, 20, pretty easy. Oh, yeah. You we're practicing that all the time, so yeah. You know that's so, a that's a perfect scenario, obviously. But oh that's, yeah. So if you're set up solo, are you doing much different? You hear a lot of guys say that they're going to call back forty, fifty yards, and then run ahead and get set up. Yeah, that bull will walk past. Are you doing that, or are you just kind of? throwing your calls behind you or well for for my first setup the bugling uh the bugling or the calf sounds cow sounds whatever you're doing at the start um a lot of times that one's kind of the first one you know 100 way 100 yards in kind of thing you're testing the waters from there i'm kind of picking my spots and honestly i'm picking i'm picking my shooting spot first so i'll literally walking on the game trail and I'll really be watching ahead of me for, you know, openings in, in the, in the bush ahead of you, um, stuff like that. If there's big openings in the, in the middle of the bush, like grassy areas, swampy areas or something, the elk, they're not really going to come across there to, to, to come have a look at you. So you pretty much have to set up further back in the bush. So, what I'm looking for, I, I want the close encounter. Kind of be in the thick, thicker trees, you know, the poplar trees where they go to spruce trees, something like that. So as I'm walking the trail, I'm looking for these certain spots. Um, and it's just the thicker the cover, the better it is because they're going to be close to you. Uh, but I do want to have 
a little bit of visual because I want to see, I want to make sure that bull's legal as he's walking in at the same time. So um, you kind of want to have a few little openings where you can kind of see them coming. And then from there, I'll literally watch the game trail and you'll kind of know which direction it's going. Uh, so from there, I'll set up my shooting spot. You know, once you've moved in and you got an elk coming. Uh, as a solo hunter, I always set up the shooting spot first. So go ahead, kick the ground down, you know, again, 15, 20 yards off that, uh, off that trail. And basically in that spot, you're not calling from at all. So once you kick the ground down to dirt, leave that spot. And I go back another 30, 40 yards and it's really thick area. So sometimes I can only go back 15, 20 yards, but that doesn't matter. So once I got the spot kicked out, I'll literally go back down the trail to where I'm going to call from. I'll do my calling from there. And then I silently go where I'm shooting from. But that's the key is don't call from that spot. So let the elk kind of, they have that GPS. They know exactly where you called from and they can pinpoint it. So once you've moved back to your shooting location, that's where I'm pretty quiet, you know, try not to make any branches as you're moving to that spot and, uh, and then just be ready. And then you're just sitting there waiting for, you know, could be five minutes. If you don't hear anything coming, that's when I'll, I'll, I'll leave my shooting position, go back to my calling spot and then do another bugle. And I usually I'll wait and listen for five, 10, 15 seconds before I move. And just see if you can hear anything. And if you don't hear nothing, a lot of times I'll, I'll wait in that spot for a couple minutes. And then I'll give another one, give another bugle. And then from there, you'll listen for another 5, 10 seconds, see if you hear anything. And then I'll move spot, even if I don't hear anything. And then from my shooting position, that's where I'm going to spend another 5, 10, 15 minutes. I'm just going to sit and wait see if anything presents itself um because a lot of these a lot of these bulls this season you know they're they're pretty shy they're going to just come slipping in through the through the game trails uh to check out your position so so yeah lee if i understand it right if you're team hunting you're going to set up in the thicker brush the your shooter's kind of going to be a little bit more out in the open off that game trail and you're basically just going to draw that bull in past the shooter yeah in a solo scenario you're looking for a little bit thicker of an area yeah you're going to do your calls in that thicker area so that they can't see in but you're going to move out kind of to the edge of that thicker area again in hopes that bull will walk right past you yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. It's a lot tougher doing it solo because you got to play all the, you know, you got to be caller, you got to be shooter, you got to yep. be all the eyes and ears all at once. But, you you know, it only takes a few times if you get stuff like that and you realize really quick, okay, well, what did I do wrong and what did I do anything right? You know, <laughs> so that's well, kind of where your mind goes. It's like, okay, so you kind of learn from those. I will admit <laughs> that that's uh, probably one of the 
biggest things that I fault on is solo hunting, setting up in too big of an opening. I can think of two or three instances off the top of my head where should have been a dead bull, but, you know, looking, looking back, you think, oh yeah, that bull's going to come in. He's going to follow, but they, you hear everybody talk about the doorway and yeah. if you don't pick the right doorway. They come to that doorway. They don't see what they're looking for and they'll just skirt the edge and disappear. Yeah. And I, I know I've had that happen to me more than once. So. Oh yeah, exactly. The I setup mean, we, is key. Yeah, it is key. You're right. hundred percent. And I mean, we kind of learn that lesson year after year after year. If you're like me. Yeah. The, the elk kind of get you. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> but sure. even, you know, it can even happen when you have a, a shooter and a caller. I know it happened with me and Dylan a couple, I guess, two, three years ago now is me and Dylan and my wife, Carrie. In one of the spots we hunt and uh, we had a bull bugling and he was probably 100, 150 yards away, but we kind of knew the trail system. It was the first time we went in there. So, but we could kind of see the game trail, how it kind of worked up through. And, uh, well, lo and behold, I, I moved back and, uh, Dylan, uh, moved up ahead and he was the shooter. And so he moved up with my wife, Carrie, and they were kind of off to the side perfectly. They're in a really good spot. It was a nice little pine thicket where the bulls had to come through the main trail was going right through this thicket. So I moved back off and what we didn't know was up ahead of Dylan, there was kind of a poplar tree that had fallen over across the main game trail up and it was past Dylan probably, Oh, 20 or 30 yards. So once we actually did call that bull right in, but once he got to that tree, the bull kind of stopped there and that, became a barrier for him and there was no way he was going to crawl under it or go around it to come to Dylan from that point. And then what the bull ended up doing was circling around to, to Dylan, Dylan's right side went totally off the game trail through the thick trees and ended up walking out in front of me, um, in the thick willowy type stuff and no shot, uh, was presented for Dylan on that one, unfortunately. Uh, but it just goes to show, I mean, you can try to pick the spots as careful as you can, but we didn't know 30 yards ahead that there was a tree across the trail. Yeah. And and that bull was coming in at that point, so we had to kind of... He was coming in fairly quick, so we had to kind of scramble and get set up. And that's one time where, you know, the bull wins. <laughs> Yep. And one thing too, you were saying, I know I've been caught with this too, kind of, I, I guess it kind of goes back to both the, uh, the doorway effect and not calling from your shooting persp- or your shooting spot. But yep. yeah, I can recall one time I was uh, set up and I'd done exactly what you said. I had let out a location bugle, bull fired off probably 150, 200 yards away. I moved up and I cut the distance probably in half, maybe a little bit greater than half. 
and yep. I bugled again, and that bull fired off again, and he was doing the same thing. He was cutting the distance in half. <clears throat> so from that that point, I thought, you know, I better get set up here, and I did. Yeah. I got set up, <clears throat> and nothing, nothing, nothing. I bet I sat there for 15, 20 minutes, and that bull, he couldn't have been... 75 80 yards away but oh, i had wow. set up in the edge of an opening and i thought oh he'll come out in this opening and i'll, I'll get a shot yeah and nothing 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 like i said probably 15 20 minutes it went by and i got impatient so i just let out a cow call yeah and sure enough, that bull was right on the edge of that opening, and he came right to the edge of it and skirted around the edge. And, I mean, I guess I know where I went wrong. I, on one hand, making that cow call, it gave away my location. So he came out to the edge of the opening. He didn't see any elk, yeah. and he skirted the edge of it. Yeah. But at the same time, in that story, he was so close to the opening. If I would have dropped back, I feel like I would have been seen. Right. So it's 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 hard to say. He he wouldn't commit to going out in that opening without hearing another sound. But at the same time, me making that sound gave away my location. So it's, yeah the tough game it is it is tough and, it, and i mean that's the hard part that's kind of how they always seem to get us you know there was well for you you have that little opening a perfect world you can move through the opening and get to the other side to where the bull is but in retrospect that bull's only 40 50 yards in there from the opening he can see everything going on yeah so i mean there's no way you can you can physically do that so it's kind of you're at the mercy of the bull at that time yeah uh, i mean not much you can do you can you can try to keep calling them in maybe move back you can call them across that little opening and get to your side of the bush and have a better chance at them but it's really, it's a tough one. I mean, it's <laughs> once they got you, they got you. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, that's, uh, he, he never went away scared. You know what I mean? He just, he came up to the opening. He looked in that opening. He thought, well, there should be, I should be able to see something at this point. Didn't. And he just kind of skirted that opening and went back up the way that he came from. So, I mean, it was, it was, uh, a good learning learning experience and oh, it was yeah. fun either way yeah um, that's right exactly so if you are going to set up to do a scenario kind of what are you looking for and what scenarios do you use the most um early season kind of into that beginning of the rut okay yeah, so most of the areas I kind of look for are, honestly, if I can find an area where 
either I'm up on top of the hill and there's ridges down below me. Um, that's kind of my favorite is to be up top and then kind of work down in the morning. But it's, it's kind of one of those things where you have to, you kind of burn an hour of daylight first thing in the morning because the thermals are going down because mm-hmm. uh, the air is so cold it's going down the hill. So from the top of the ridge, I, I usually like to drop down from the very top to like the first little bench kind of thing. And in our areas, you can drop down like 30, 40 yards and you'll be just below the top, but still on a, on the next little bench kind of thing if you follow the game trails. And from there, that's where I kind of, I make that my, your command post, I guess you could call it. And that's where I'll spend the the next hour just what i like to do like you think there's going to be elk you know down further down the ridges from you so that's where i kind of like to set up and you know i'll start off with some little bit of moaning and groaning and some chuckles stuff like that so a chuckle would be let's grab my read here we would like to take a moment to thank one of our many great sponsors Wapiti River Outdoors is the leading innovator when it comes to elk calls and the only elk call we trust in the field. Wapiti River has a wide assortment of elk reeds for the beginner to the seasoned veteran. All reeds are designed and handmade in Grand Prairie, Alberta by Travis O'Shea, a world elk calling champion. With their extensive reed collection, you are sure to find the reed that you are looking for. Wapiti River has more to offer than just elk reeds, though. They have a ton of accessories to help you be successful on your next elk hunt. See all Wapiti River has to offer on all social media platforms and at wapitiriveroutdoors.com. While you're there, take a look at their elk calling seminar schedule and invest in the most important piece of gear, yourself. Wapiti River Outdoors, share our passion. Chuckle will be something like this here. something like that and again it's fairly quiet the first couple are always really quiet um because you don't know if they're literally on the next next little bench below you or if they're below you so my first calling is and then uh a lot of times i'll throw in you know that little chuckle and then uh sometimes i'll follow it up with a little light little bugle so it it usually goes something like this here. So, <laughs> that's pretty typical for what I like to do. And then, because uh, you're gonna do a scenario, so you kind of want to plant the seed out there that you're a bull. If you're chuckling, you're inviting other elk to come to your location. So that's what a chuckle chuckle means. It's you're you're telling them to come on over. Everything's pretty cool over here. You know, nothing's happening. Just come on wandering over and join my herd kind of thing. So the chuckle, that's a very important call to kind of learn. Um, and believe it or not, I'm using that from the first day to the last day of the season. It's... It's probably the most versatile call that you can actually have because you got to remember the elk are a real herd type 
animal, that's their whole life. So anytime you tell an elk to come on over with a chuckle, pretty good chance he's going to either he'll chuckle back to you and tell you, no, you come over here, or he'll come into your chuckles and see what's going on. So, and nice thing about the chuckles, you call the calves in, you'll call the, you'll call the cows in, and you'll call the bulls in. So it's not really, it's not really pertaining to one, you know, one gender or anything like that. You're just literally calling all elk is what you're doing. So, and you know, up here it's three point zone or bigger. Uh, so, you know, anytime you can do a chuckle, a lot of times you're going to call in those spikers, the two points, three points, you know, stuff that's going to be on the younger scale, <clears throat> especially early in the season. You know, the first couple, two or three days of the season, elk are probably as dumb as they're going to get that whole, that whole time. So you might as well play on those when, if you're just trying to, you know, fill your freezer, might as well just do some chuckling and some light, light bugles and see if you can call a, a younger bull over. And so that's kind of what I'm playing on, you know, the first setup. Um, I'm not really a, a horn hunter. It's, it's more for fun and to be out there calling with the elk and fill the freezer. So yeah. get up there, you know, drop down to that first little bench. I usually do my little sequence like that. It's just a chuckle and a, a small little bugle. And then I'll literally wait 5, 10, 15 minutes, as long as I can take it. Um, and then after that 5, 10 minutes kind of went by, then I'll throw it out there again. But I'll throw it out with a little bit more more volume again. And uh, I'll probably just, honestly, I probably the first couple times I do it, the first two, three setups that I do there uh, from that command post will be pretty much the same. There'll be the chuckle with a little light little bugle. Uh, but each time I'll get a little bit louder and uh, just cause you're trying to reach down further down the, down the ridges. So again, it'd be, it'll sound something like this here. <laughs> so something like that. And from that point on, once you've done that two or three times, you've now you've waited, say you've waited 10 minutes the, ne the first time, maybe 15 minutes the next time. Well, you're dang near to a half an hour that those elk have been hearing something up above them and they could be coming into your location. And keep in mind, they're always following the thermals. So down at the base of those hills, you know, most of the places we hunt, there's pipelines and there's fields. Uh, so those elk are automatically coming off the feeding fields first thing in the morning anyways, and they're following those thermals up. So by you being at the top, you're inviting them up to your location, up to your bench where you already are, and they're off their feeding area. So they're kind of, you know, nonchalantly walking the game trails anyhow, and they want to get fairly there. They want to get three quarters of the way up anyways, and then that's where they're going to bed for the day. So now you're a half an hour into it this is where i really start paying attention to the wind thermals because what's going to happen that cold air that was following down got your command post now half an hour hour into it that air is going to start being warmed by the sun and now those thermals that were going down the hill 
that air is going to warm and that air is going to start coming back up the hill into your face. So, and that's what the elk are following. So first thing in the morning, they're walking into the thermals. That's hitting them right in the face. They're smelling for, for any kind of danger that's up above them. And then once those thermals change, that's pretty much where the elk are going to bed because now they know nothing has come up from behind them because they just walked up those trails. There was no bears, no cougars, nothing was chasing them. So now they can bed on that little bench wherever they get to. They know their back trail is safe already. So they can bed so they're looking back down the hill. But now they got the thermals in their face, you know, so they can smell anything coming up to them. So, you know, so it's kind of a win-win situation for them, unless you're the hunter that's above them, because you got to remember, now you're up above them, they can't smell you, because the thermals are still coming up into your face. So now you're smelling that, that wonderful elk smell, and you can hear them coming, and a lot of times they'll, they'll end up right in on the same bench that you're calling from. So as long as you're pretty patient, um, you may have, during the course of the, that first hour, I may have bumped down one more bench if I didn't really hear nothing going on. So, but I try not to go too far, honestly, cause I know those elk are always coming up. Yeah. So you're, you're not really doing a whole lot of cow calling then you're pretty well sticking with the chuckles, the bugles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's two there, I guess there's, there's two kinds of callers. There's the guys that really love the cow calls and think they only call bulls in with cow calls. And then there's the other guys that 90% of the bulls they call in are all with the bugles, chuckles, moans, and groans. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, it's just really, honestly, I think it's personal preference. And because I know a lot of guides in Montana that, you know, they shoot, you know, 390, 400-inch bulls with my pink lady. Uh, There's one guiding outfit out there that's he'll phone me and he'll order like 20 of them. Know for a fact they're mostly using cow calls. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for a cow call placed in the right spot. You know, you do the right sound at the right time, you're going to call some big bulls in. Um, but me, I don't know. I just, for me, I like bugling and chuckling and doing the odd stuff that most people aren't doing. Um, even when I'm out there, you can tell by my calling, I'm not really throwing out like a high note bugle too often. It's more of the, you know, in my chuckling scenario, you can tell the bugle that I do and I'll do it again here for you. It's really not even like a what I would say a location bugle. I would honestly say it's more of a <clears throat> more kind of like a bedded bull bugle or a, or an advertising type thing, you know. Yeah. Just it's just lower lower note and just you're just throwing the bugle out there. So, but it's more elky type sounds if that makes any sense at all, which probably doesn't. It's just elk have those certain sounds that they use and not, you know, not too many, not too many times do you just hear a flat out 
location beagle coming from another bull. It's there's usually some growl or some low tones mixed in with it because they usually have that little guttural sound like the to their bugle, right? Yeah. So well, I think so, that's, so many people, like you said, it, it might work the first few days of season when the elk are dumb, but I yeah. think you get so many people out there that that's all they do is walk location bugle, walk location bugle, walk location bugle. Yeah. The elk no, they're they're smarter than that. You know what I mean? They're uh, yeah. They they pick up on that. They know that that's what people are doing. Wait a minute, how come now we have five guy or five elk just walking around location bugling? It's yeah. not real, right? It's no. That's what that, you're if, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. If you're getting in close and using those lower tones that type of thing that's more what elk do yeah um yeah I, I, honestly i think a lot of why people do that location bugle is because they're not spending the time scouting they don't know where the elk are at maybe yeah and so they're going out there they're trying to broadcast out reach as far out as they can whereas a lot of the scenarios and calling you're talking about is you know or you you have a good idea of where the elk are going to be at you've scouted you've done your homework that type of thing yeah and a lot of it also comes from uh when i was younger early in my career of hunting elk and calling elk um i literally was that guy i would i would bugle and listen for 10 15 seconds and oh here and i'd be walking down the trail and you know another 150 200 yards down i'd bugle again listen for a few minutes oh nothing here and then off again another 150 200 yards next thing i know i was three or four miles from the truck and i hadn't heard a bugle yet so but as i started getting older and you know started learning more and more from the elk because you pay attention if you learn you you remember stuff and now that I'm older, it's more of a patience game. And so many callers out there um, for there is guys are location bugling, nothing. So they move, then they location bugle, nothing. So they move, location bugle, like you were saying. Or it's the other th- guys are walking down the game trail and they're going like this the whole way. as they're walking down the cut lines or the trails. Yeah. So even if a bull did answer to those guys while they're cow calling and walking down the trail, I bet you nine times out of the 10 that they're honestly not even going to hear that bull bugle back. <laughs> they're going to hear so, the leaves they're crunching with their boots or. Yeah. Like we're noisy critters when we're walking, you know, we're swishing through the grass. I was just going to put a game camera up the other day and. I noticed how much noise I was making walking down a well-beaten game trail. Yep. It sounded like I was a herd of elk coming through there. And it's like, <laughs> holy man. You know, and I'm walking fairly quiet and fairly slow, and I'm still making a whole pile of noise. And I know for a fact, there's no way I could have heard an elk. But, uh, if it... I, 
I wouldn't have heard them. Yeah. I just learned, you know, uh, it's elk hunting is a, it's a, it's a patient game. Uh, I don't know. It's just most people are moving way too fast. And I know, uh, I watched a Wayne Carlton video years and years ago, back when I was probably 20. And I remember him saying in the video, he says, if, if you think you're moving slow enough in the elk country, slow it down by another 50%. And, and that's exactly, those words resonate in my mind every time. And it's so true. You know, it just, you got to slow down and you got to, you got to see what's going on out there. So, and I mean, we always get those times where nothing's going on. So you're covering lots of ground. So, but I kind of do a lot of that. It's a lot of my, a lot of my covering a lot of ground is on my evening hunts, bulls for the next day. Um, so if I'm moving fast, and uh, nine times out of 10, it's because I'm, um, well, for one, around here, I don't like to shoot anything at night because if you have there's a very good chance the coyotes and the bears are going to get it anyways. So yeah, I really only move on a bull elk in the evening if I have, you know, a good hour, 45 minutes um, of solid time where I know I can get on them and get a good shot. If I hour, then I'm pretty much staying on the outskirts and just bugling and finding his location and um, listening to where he's bugling from, looking on my maps on my phone, bugling from here, where did he come from, and where will he tomorrow morning? So that's kind of why I'm on my maps. And then he's that morning, um, that's where I'm going to be at 4.35 o'clock the next morning and waiting for him to come back up into the trees and I'm going to be there waiting for him. And, you know, I'll have a outcome and a lot better probability of, of putting an arrow in that bull. If you can kind of strategize like that and figure out your, just go rushing in and, Oh man, there's half an hour before it gets dark. I'm going to run in and I'm going to bugle out this elk and cut the distance in half and, or you know it, you've blown that elk out of there and you could have came back in the morning and shot him a lot easier. Yep. You know, so, but, but that's just years and years of experience and being there and, and having it happen to me many times where it's like, crap, these elk keep winning nine times out of 10. What am I doing wrong? And that's what I'm doing wrong. You know, I'm, I'm moving too fast and you hear a bugle and you're excited. I got to get in on that bull and, you know, but you have to slow down and think about what's going on. Alrighty. Well, that brings us to the end of the questions. Um, okay. Last time, part one, you had told a story. Uh, part two, I'm going to tell one of my favorite elk hunting stories since well, I'm the only other one here. And then next time, hopefully we can get Dylan or Craig on and, they can share one of their stories. Um, I went back and forth and back and forth on what story I was going to tell. And I think I decided on one. 
mainly because it's not a traditional elk hunting story, but it's one where I feel like I learned the most in the woods, um, as far as elk hunting goes. Um, so 2019, I was actually after a deer and, uh, I missed that deer the third day of archery season, full velvet. And so I was thinking, man, where could this deer have went? Cause it was about a week later. I missed the deer in the spot where I'd been seeing him. Hadn't no more pictures of him. He hadn't came back in. And so I was contemplating looking at areas where I thought this deer might have went. And so I decided to check a camera I had up on the edge of this field. And no deer on it. But surprisingly, almost every night, elk were coming out into this field from this cut line. And I decided, okay, I'll wait till the wind's right. I'll slip in there and try and get one of these. Well, I did just that. I was working night shift. So I got off work. I had taken all my gear out. Uh, I use a climbing tree stand a lot. So I took my climbing tree stand out. I put it in the box of my truck, put my boots in the box of my truck, um, my bow, and I had everything in the box of my truck. I sprayed everything down with scent killer and just let it air out for the day. I took my clothes. I put them in the washing machine with uh, scent eliminating wash i took them from there hung them outside to dry that way they would air out and uh went to bed got up that afternoon checked the wind the wind was right to go into this spot so i decided tonight's the night i'm gonna try it i got out there i got myself set up in a tree with my stand um really early in the afternoon. I wanted to make sure I got in there with lots of time. And sat and waited. And sure enough, I seen a couple deer earlier in the day, you know, crossing, going out in the field. And uh, sure enough, like clockwork, here come the elk. Nice. And uh, there was a cow that was leading her. The lead cow came up, and when I had walked into this spot, I knew better than to walk right on the cut line. So I circled around and came in about 50 yards behind where the cut line came into the field. Now, I did, on my way in, stop and grab the SD card out of the camera that was on the edge of the cut line. And then I dropped back, found the tree that I wanted to hunt, and climbed up in it. So, 
that lead cow came out and was walking the edge of the cut line, got right to where that camera was at, stopped, smelled the tree where I had grabbed the camera from, and then proceeded to follow my trail back towards the truck. And she got up to the fence line where uh, I had had to cross the fence to get back into the cut line. She walked that fence back and forth and back and forth. And one thing I noticed while she was doing this, there was nine cows in total, including her. The bull was at the back. I could not see him, but he was at the back. He was raking on trees and thrashing trees all the other cows would not go in front of that lead cow. None of the cows would go out into the field. None of the cows would go in front of her. They all stayed behind her. And you could tell she was the dominant cow. And she had walked that fence line back and forth probably three or four times. Then she picked up the trail from me crossing the fence and started following it right to the tree. Oh, wow. And I thought, this is it. I'm busted. She's going to get to the tree. She's going to look up. It's over with. That's it. And at this point, I'm standing with my release clipped on, and I'm thinking do I just shoot one of these cows? Cause I had cows out in front of me, 10, 15, 20 yards away. Like I said, there's nine cows out in the opening, including the lead cow. And I probably could have shot five or six of them. I would have had my pick. Yeah. But that thought went through my head <clears throat> and then that bulls back behind them all just thrashing trees and tearing stuff up. No, I'm going to wait. I'm going to play it out. Whatever. It is what it is. And sure enough, that cow came up. She got to the bottom of my tree. She sniffed the bottom of the tree. And one of the other cows had got up right to the edge of the field. They actually got in front of her and got to the edge of the field. And she did not like that. She whipped around, went and pushed that cow back out of the field, back into the cut line, because she didn't feel safe at that point. And I thought, like, what in the world? Like, am I going to get a chance? Am I not? What's going on? Yeah. And she'd done the same thing. She started back, and she got almost to the edge of the tree, and that same cow had went back out into the field for a second time. And she whipped around again, and she went out in the field. And that time, she stayed out in the field. And once she stayed out in the field, it was about five, ten seconds later. It's just like you opened up the floodgates, man. The cows started pouring out into the field. It was, it was really something to see. And I wish, 
I would have had a video camera with me. I did have a camera with me, but I didn't have it set up. And that was my fault because it was really, it was an experience that I learned so much on that I wish I could share the video with other people so that they could learn what I had learned from it. But anyways, that bull, once all the cows were in the field, I thought, okay, here's going to come that bull. He's going to walk right down the center of this cut line. It's going to be an 18-yard shot off the trail, dead bull, no problem. What does the bull do? He comes on the inside of the cut line right underneath my stand. He stays in cover the whole time comes out to the fence line and into the field. And I don't know why or for whatever reason, but right when he got to the edge of the field, he stopped and he turned back to look down the edge of the cut line or look down the cut line. And that was the only shot that I had at 40 yards. And luckily he stayed there long enough. I drew back. I mean, I'd already had everything ranged out. I drew back released made a perfect shot he ran out in the field and tipped over but just the just everything leading up to that made it such a memorable hunt like yeah getting getting the bull was a bonus but learning so much and seeing how those animals work in those instances as far as the lead cow is in charge pushing all the other cows around you know you always hear oh the bull doesn't lead the cows the cows lead the bulls well in that instance 100 percent, it was true and something else i took away from it was the bull always stayed in cover until he was out in the field like if there was cover he was in the cover it was, yeah. I don't know. It was, uh, it was a memorable hunt to say the least. That sounds pretty epic. Yeah, like I said, I wish I would have got it on camera, uh, just so other people could see like the way that the animals were working. Yeah, and that lead cow pushing that other cow back into the cut line because she didn't feel that it was safe at that time. And yeah, it was, it was neat to see. And I would say by far, I mean, I've had other hunts that are definitely memorable and fun and you look back on, but as far as learning, I think that one, I definitely learned the most on. And I think what I learned, why I learned the most was honestly, because I was up in the tree stand. If I would have been on the ground, I probably would have been busted. If if it would have been a calling scenario, I, I might have gotten them. But it's it was it was one that I will never forget. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love that you used the whitetail tactic, basically, and the yeah. tree stand. To... And the tree stand. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, why not? If that's, to me, yes, calling in elk, that's awesome. It's fun. It's, 
but I knew what they were doing. And like I said, this was right about the time cell phones, cell phone cameras were being introduced and I didn't have any at the time. Um, yeah. So I, I had a regular camera up there, but like I said, they were hitting it every night, like clockwork every night, about six thirty at night, they were coming into the field. So, you know, if, if you're, know where they're going to be at why not set up and use some other tactics right well that's right i mean you put it you put everything all in your favor when you do the ambush you know yeah you're not calling you're not giving away your your spot you know you're sent free you you did your homework you did everything right and you got paid off because it all worked out perfect the way you know the way you envisioned it well, and that's another thing to take away. And it actually happened to me twice that year. Um, you can say whatever you want to about the scent killer, the scent eliminating detergent, the changed my mind completely how I think about scent control and hunting the wind. I'm not going to say that I didn't hunt the wind before. I literally done everything to a T as far as scent elimination. I put on scent spray. I had sprayed my bow. I sprayed my tree stand. The wind was in my favor. Those elk still picked up on my trail. Yeah, that lead cow still picked up on my trail. It doesn't matter, in my opinion, what you do as far as scent control. The only thing that you can do is play the wind. Yeah, if the wind's not in your favor, it doesn't matter. There's no killing your scent. No, you know it's funny. You're absolutely right with that. Like the other day, I went and hung a hung a trail camera with my wife Carrie, and I took my dog, <clears throat> and. uh it was to a new spot where, you know, we basically took one game trail in, went in, hugged it, hung, hung up the camera. Um, and then I took a different trail coming out. But on the way out, me and my dog, which my dog was right in front of me, she was kind of leading the way. And automatically, she went up the game trail that we come down on. Come in. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to go the other way. I wanted to go to the left and then kind of skirt around and then come up back to the trail around from the left. Mm-hmm. And my, my dog was up the other game trail already, like 20, 30 yards. And she stopped and she's looking back at me. And she's like, that's not the right way. That's the way we came in. <laughs> exactly, yeah. you know. Yeah. So how they can smell that, you know, like nature is funny that way. You know, dogs can do it. Elk can do it. Bear, wolves. We can't do it. We're not. No. We're, we're not that way. But how my dog knew to go up that trail when she's never ever been there before in her life, mm-hmm. other than coming down at one time. You know, it's beyond. Even my wife said, "Like, holy man, she knows exactly where we came in." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely." <laughs> yeah. So and... by the, you know, by seeing those elk in your instance, walk around and check exactly where you went to the camera and over to the fence line. Yeah. It's amazing, you know. Yeah, it is. And it, it has been, I think I left the house about 2.30. And those elk weren't coming out in the field about 6 to 6.30 every night. 
So that's what three and a half hours. Yeah. So I had, it had been three and a half hours since I had walked in, but that scent was still strong enough at that point for them to smell it. And like I said, that, that day I had washed my clothes in a scent eliminating laundry detergent. I had on scent free deodorant. Like I, I'll be honest. I used to be the guy that, I mean, I, I still kind of am. I, I washed my clothes in scent-free detergent, and my clothes, my hunting clothes all go into a tub. But I used yeah. to be the guy, the believer in the scent spray and the, the gimmicks, basically. Yeah. But after seeing that, and there's one other hunt that year for deer that I done the same thing. I... Uh, knew the deer were coming out into this field and I washed all my clothes. They had been freshly washed in scent eliminating detergent. I sprayed everything down. I sprayed my trail. I sprayed where I crossed the fence. I had sprayed my way in like didn't matter. The deer still picked me out. They walked down the edge of the field and they usually went out into the field but this, they came out in a little bit of a different spot. They crossed the fence. They hit my trail where I was walking in and they followed it right to the bottom of my tree. Like it is, it's unbelievable. Yep. And same thing. It had been probably two and a half three hours since I had walked in. Their noses just cannot be beat no matter what you do. No, they're amazing. You know, and you take elk and whitetail. They're some of the most keen animals on our planet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I, Actually, funny you say that about the scent killer stuff, because early in my hunting, I was kind of the same way, but I took it a step further. I would go out to the area that I'd be hunting, mm-hmm. and then for opening morning, um, I'd, I would collect like branches and grass from that area, and I'd mm-hmm. put them all in, in a plastic garbage bag with my hunting clothes. Yeah. And all that foliage, you know, it smelled, it impermeated into your clothes and all that. That's what I would wear the next, you know, the next couple of days for the opening days. And, uh, I mean, it, it was awesome. I loved going out and doing it. It was fun, you know, something, you know, it added more to the adventure, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then, uh, I did kind of get stung one time. I, I left my one, my one set of hunting clothes in a bag with the foliage and <laughs> I, I hunted, you know, for, a different area with different clothes and and i forgot about that one bag <laughs> when i did open it up the uh believe it or not the the foliage and all that was all moldy around my clothes yeah. and stuff and i was like oh crap i ended up wrecking a whole whole oh, set camel. of you know camel so <laughs> so don't leave it in there too long but <laughs> a day or two you're good <laughs> but yeah no that's right that's kind of that's where I kind of keep my, you know, when I set up, I kick the, the ground down, down to earth, you know, the, mm-hmm. the size of the hood of your car. That's why I kind of do that. Cause I like, when you kick it down, you'll see, you'll have that fresh earth smell up coming up. Yeah. yeah. And it's all part of my cover scent as well. I mean, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do believe you know, looking back, I think the cover scents and stuff, they do mask it 
and the scent eliminating spray, I mean, it definitely doesn't eliminate it. But I would be curious to see studies or whatever, if it does mask it, say, like, tricks the animals into thinking that it's older than what it is. Like, I, I would believe that. Um, but as far as completely eliminating your scent, the only thing that's the only way to beat their noses is to play the wind. Yeah. 100%. I agree 100% with you on that. That's why I kind of, yeah. I just hunt the wind now. Um, I used yeah. to use all the, all the scent sprays and all that, you know, hunter special. Yeah. But then I got to thinking in my head, kind of like what you are, it's the same. It's like, okay, smelling, you know, ain't sent to me, or are they actually, mm-hmm. are they smelling the scent away spray, you know? Yeah. Because there's yeah. a certain smell to that. So it's like, okay, yeah. are they really smelling me, or are they smelling the spray? And am I, yeah. am I hurting my chances, or am I bettering my chances? You don't really know what... Because we can't go up to him and ask him, hey, what are you smelling, right? Hey, what are you, yeah. <laughs> what do you think but, of this smell? <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. So, but, I mean, you spray your hat and stuff and you smell it, especially oh, something yeah. like, I used to use the the full blend uh, hunt, hunter elimination stuff. Well, that stuff smells like fall. So mm-hmm. if I if I can smell it, then you know oh, damn well that elk can smell, smell it. Yeah. Like, but what are they smelling? Yeah. Like, is it fall or is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then, and then, like last year on my hunt with Dana uh, from Fatal Impact, we we're walking down the cut line. He's like, "Man, uh, did you just put like Old Spice on or something?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's my Old Spice yeah. deodorant." He's like. <laughs> He's like, man. <laughs> no, like, I'm yeah, the same I can, way I can smell that. <laughs> I, uh, I don't, don't always, but yeah, I don't, don't use any. Like I said, I wash all my clothes in a scent-free detergent, but I think it's uh, sunlight or something like that. It's just a cheap detergent. Yeah. Um, shower with my. Uh, Oh, what's what's the name of that soap? Not Old Spice. Oh, yeah. Irish Spring soap. Irish Irish Spring, yeah. Yeah. Shower with yeah. my Irish Spring soap. Put on my dog. <laughs> <and away> yeah. <laughs> I just remember it was so funny. I was walking in with <laughs> with them in the morning went on that Dana hunt, and uh, it wasn't a half an hour later and we had his bull in at like four or five yards right in front of us. And, <laughs> and he shot him right in front of us. And I'm like, okay, there's some old spice for you. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, it's priceless, but I mean, yeah, if you're playing the wind and they can't smell, smell you no matter what, anyways, it's not going to matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, maybe we'll end that one there. We're getting, pretty close to the hour and a half mark here the conversation went on good i think we covered a lot of good stuff um be sure to tune in next time we're going to continue on with travis part three of the elk strategies uh believe next time dylan's the one that has the schedule but i believe it's going to be more of the actual rut hunting and post rut 
And then we're going to touch a little bit on, uh, as far as cleaning, once you get that animal on the ground, what you're going to do with it. So awesome. Perfect. Alrighty. We will catch up with you next time. Thanks for coming on Trav. Thanks Brian. I appreciate awesome. it, buddy.